and welcome to your RAF Mildenhall Protestant Parish Podcast. We pray that today's message inspires and encourages your heart. Get ready for a life-changing word from the Lord. Anyway, uh, dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So my, my dad once told me a joke. And it went something like this. It's about two old guys named Abe and Saul. And Abe and Saul uh, were both avid, avid Minnesota Twins fans. And being avid Minnesota Twins fans, they knew an awful lot about suffering and death. And uh, uh, therefore, they always wondered at themselves. Uh, They would ask themselves while they're watching Twins games, they say, do you think that, that one day when we're in heaven, we'll be able to play baseball in heaven? They, they weren't sure about this. And so they made a deal. They said, okay, whichever one of us dies first, okay? Whoever dies first has to do everything that they can, everything in their power to come back and let the other one know whether or not there is, in fact, baseball in heaven. All right, so time goes on. They watch the twins lose a lot of games together. And then uh, eventually, uh, it so happened, it came to pass that Abe died, Okay. Abe died, they buried him, and a couple of months later, uh, Saul was sitting in his living room in his chair watching the twins, and uh, uh, Abe suddenly appeared before him uh, as this sort of uh, translucent figure, right? And he said, Saul, Saul, are you there? And Saul said, yeah, I'm here, you don't have to shout. They were old. And uh, Abe said, Saul, Saul, listen, I don't have much time. Uh, but I've got good news and I've got bad news. And Saul said, okay, what's the good news? He said, there is baseball in heaven. Oh, good, good, that's great, said, said Saul. And Abe said, uh, but the bad news is uh, you're, you're pitching on Friday. So, all right. <laughs> all right. Jesus says, be ready, uh, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected, unexpected hour. Uh, and to that end, I probably should read you our scripture Uh, for uh, this morning, which comes to us from Matthew uh, chapter 24, and uh, reading in verses 36 through 44, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. Oh, look at that, it's right up there. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Uh, Actually, so, oh, oh, sorry, I think uh, I must have given you the wrong chapter. So it says 26, it's 24. Uh, So pay no attention to the screen. Sorry about that for those of you who are at home reading that. My fault. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As were the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and swept them all away. So it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One taken and one left. Watch therefore, for you do not know on the day that your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the householder had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have watched it would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Here ends the reading. Uh, this is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. 
so this is, along with actually Isaiah 2, the traditional lesson for Advent 1, all right, the first Sunday of Advent, which we're celebrating today. And it's interesting because if you look at these two lessons, right, you, you read uh, Isaiah 2 and you read Matthew 24, we get two really, really different sort of depictions of the final judgment, the final days, the end, right? Uh, and I suppose you could say that these two depictions that we get are pretty indicative. They're very good examples of the two ways that the Bible talks about the final judgment uh, throughout its pages. If you go through and find different places where the end is talked about, it will be talked about in one of these two ways. Uh, in Isaiah, it, it, we might call them, I guess, the good way and the bad way, right? Or uh, more appropriately, uh, judgment according to the law and judgment according to the gospel. Uh, these two words that God gives us. And we get them again both exemplified here. In Matthew, we get this harder word of judgment according to the law given where the end comes like the flood and everyone's going about their business, marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking and working and then suddenly whoosh, swallowed up by the waters, right? Just like that. They only see it coming when it's far too late. They don't even get as much notice as poor old Saul got in our joke uh, this morning. They only see it coming when it's far too late. Um, and Matthew's description, or Jesus' description in Matthew, is unexpected, decisive, and brutal. And then we have Isaiah's vision, right? We have Isaiah's vision of the final day which is strikingly different. It's a vision of all the nations streaming to the house of the Lord, of God settling disputes between the peoples, making peace where there was division and strife and warfare, of the people then taking up their swords and saying, well, I don't know what to do with these anymore. I guess we'll turn them into farm implements because there's no more war. There's no more division. There's no more hatred and strife. You might say that Isaiah's vision of the end is that of a final and total act of pure grace and mercy given to you. So the um, question is, of course, which one of these is for you? <laughs> uh, which one of these is uh, the one that you get to experience? Traditionally, or very often, I should say, we divide this up by saying, what kind of person are you, right? Which kind of person are you? Are you the sort of person that God would want to squash like a bug? Or are you the kind of person that God would like to uh, kind of pick up and dust off and uh, send on your way in freedom? Which one are you? But I think this misunderstands, this misunderstands the nature of these two words. The judgment according to the law, that hard judgment, is not just for the you know, poor, sinful unbelievers out there. And the judgment according to grace is not just for all the good people out there. Uh, that kind of easy division, I think, is mostly about me propping up all of my own hard judgments about you. Uh, it's really about me being able to stand in the temple and say, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this uh, tax collector over here. It's about Chaplain Ray being able to say, Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like Chaplain Maddox. 
Uh, and, and thank you, Lord, that, that one day when everything is said and done, you'll take me to my final reward and you'll crush Chaplain Maddox in all of his sin. Thanks be to God. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry. <I> just <laughs> all right. I, I don't think there's actually uh, any strife between Chaplain Ray and Chaplain Maddox. I, I made that up. But <clears throat> all right. These two words go together. And both of them are for you. And both of them are for me. But how does that work? We can see it a little bit in Isaiah. Okay? Uh, uh, In Isaiah, if you start in chapter 1, he has his own words of judgment that he gives to the very same people he's about to proclaim this word of peace to. Right? So in chapter 1, he says, I will turn my hand against you. I will smelt you and smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. Isaiah is speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah. Right? In the days before the Babylonian Empire is about to come over the plains and uh, uh, lay siege to their city and conquer them decisively. God is speaking through his prophet to a people who are about to experience a very hard uh, and very final judgment against their kingdom through this conquering force. And they will all live through it. And they will all suffer it. It will put them to an end. And yet, in the very next breath, Isaiah says this, afterward, afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness. And then he launches into this beautiful description of swords being beaten into plowshares and peace reigning among all peoples between Babylon and Israel, these two enemies. Judgment is coming, but so is peace, and they are coming to the same people. Uh, Now, if you're a child of the 1980s like I am, and uh, if your parents like mine were not very careful about what they let you watch uh, on television, you've probably seen the movie Airplane, all right? Anybody know the movie Airplane? Yeah? That's right. Don't be shy. You sinners. I see you. (laughs) There's a scene in this movie where um, everyone is certain that the plane is about to crash, right? Because the crew uh, has all gotten food poisoning because they ate the fish, okay? And they're all out of commission. And, and as they discover this, and as they realize that the plane is about to go down, a woman in the seat becomes completely hysterical and starts screaming, you gotta get me out of here, you gotta get me out of here, right? And so then one after another, Members or people who are on the plane with her, they walk up to her and they shake her like this. They slap her across the face and they say, get a hold of yourself, woman. Get a hold of yourself. One, and then they line up, right? And each one of them in turn shakes this woman and slaps her across the face and says, get a hold of yourself, okay? Now, uh, uh, and, and if you watch, like, who's in this line of people and who comes up and slaps her, like, every one of them sort of represents a different authority figure in the life of people. Like, you got a school mom who slaps this woman and she's got a ruler in her hand. 
Uh, you got a, there's an imam and there's a Buddhist monk and there's a nun. Uh, there, all these people are coming up to slap this woman across the face and tell her to get a hold of herself. You know, stop uh, losing control. And, and, and as, uh, uh, this is how we often experience authority in this world, right? Uh, if you've ever had an Article 15 issued to you, that's basically what it is. It's like, quit messing up. Bam, slap across the face. Here's your Article 15. Get a hold of yourself now. Start shaping up and acting right. Um, and because we're so accustomed to life working this way, because we're so used to authority figures in our lives slapping us and telling us to get a handle on our lives and start controlling our behavior, I mean, how many of you had that conversation with your children this morning? Probably without the slapping, but you know, right? Maybe with a little shaking. Because we're so accustomed to authorities working this way in our lives, authority coming down on us, trying to get us to control ourselves, or rather trying to exercise some control over us, we assume that this must be how God works too, right? And that what God is primarily doing when he issues threats like the ones in Matthew 24 is that he's trying to get us to get a hold of ourselves and become the kind of people who won't have to suffer such judgment, but who will instead receive peace. Now, it is a good thing for you to try and get uh, some control over your behavior. Your friends and your family and uh, your commander will thank you for doing this. But Christian freedom is not self-control. Freedom is not control. This isn't what God promises to us. It's not what he promises to you. Or to say it more clearly, the gospel is not you controlling your behavior. That is not what the gospel is. In Matthew, Jesus gives us warnings about the end, right? And he speaks about this flood and two men working in the field, one being swept away, and one being left. He does not give you this warning just so that you will uh, work extra hard to be the kind of person that God would put in the boat with Noah rather than the kind of person he would leave behind to be swept away by the flood. When Jesus gives warnings like this, we are to understand that he is actually indicting us not just warning us, not just trying to get us to shape up. He's indicting us. He's telling us what is to come. It's always best when you see a word of accusation in the Bible to assume that the finger is pointing at you rather than at your neighbor. Um, this is always good practice. Assume, it's, assume that this is about you uh, rather than assuming it's about somebody who you hate. Because our primary problem in relation to God is not that we won't control ourselves or that we do too much sinning, though those are problems. Our primary problem in relation to God is that we want our own righteousness rather than his. But Jesus Christ will not let you have it. 
He will not let you have your own righteousness or keep your own righteousness or be able to look at him on the last day and say, aren't you so proud of me, Lord, that I was able to get a hold of myself? This is not the kind of righteousness that Christ is interested in you having. If you follow the last few chapters of Matthew's gospel, you can see Jesus Christ cutting off basically every exit that you might try to find for yourself that would give you a little bit of control, a little bit of your own righteousness that you could hang on to and say, well, this is mine. He cuts all of those off. If you don't believe me, read the whole, like, like read the last third of Matthew's gospel and see how you feel about yourself when you're done doing that. See if you think, yeah, I, I think I'll get in. I'm pretty good. I think I'll get in. You won't feel that way if you read that and, and, and are honest with yourself about who you are. In this judgment that Christ pronounces upon us, this indictment of us, we end up losing all of the things about ourselves that we believed made us worthy our rightness over against our neighbor's wrongness, our chaplain rayness over against our neighbor's chaplain Maddox-ness. Yeah. Our fairness versus our neighbor's holier-than-thou-ness, right? our humility against their pride. We mercifully lose all of these things. Christ takes them from you. And then something beautiful happens after he's cut off every exit and ensured that his word of judgment lands on you, Christ will sit down with his disciples in the night of his betrayal and he serves his disciples who are about to abandon and betray and deny him a meal in which he says, this is my body and blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And then Christ himself is taken along with your sins to the cross where he is broken for them. Broken for you. Killed and laid in a tomb. And from that tomb he emerges with life and peace in hand for you. For you who were his betrayers and deniers. For you upon whom judgment has already fallen. This is what Paul means in Romans 6 when he asks, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. That's to undergo judgment, right? That's to be judged, to be killed with Christ. So that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall surely be united with him in a resurrection like his. Amen? Can I get one? Anybody? No? Amen. This is what it means for both of these judgments to come to you, dear friends in Christ. This is what that means. Yes, you will be judged and found wanting. Swept away like those in the flood. But in Christ, 
you'll also be found in that boat. In Christ, you will also be given the lasting peace of which the prophet Isaiah spoke. You will lose everything that you think you have and receive in return immeasurably more. Not because you've learned to control yourself or your sin, but because God has come down. Because God has come down and given his very self to you. He has made his advent upon us in Christ Jesus in order that you will be found in him and he will be found in you. And it asks the people of God to say amen to all that. We pray that you are inspired and encouraged today. Join us next week for another life-changing experience.